0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us in keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. Good morning. I just have a quick question. Jason, did you guys know what the scripture was when you chose your worship set? So perfect. Way to get here. That was amazing. I love it when it works out like that. So good morning. We do have for the kids some bulletins. They're going to be with us today. Um, Paul's got that for you. He'll take care of you. All right. So if any of you were tracking with us during Advent, during uh, you know, early winter, you might remember that we spent time each week in the practice of Lectio Divina, listening to the Holy Holy God, God speaking. Well, it seems to me like Lent is a good time to bring that back, so we're going to be doing that in just a minute. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, and that's the season that the church worldwide spends sitting in the desert with Jesus, keeping him company, hopefully. And we're 10 days into the 40 days and nights that Jesus spent fasting, Praying, contemplating his life and mission. Chronologically, he has not battled the tempter yet, but we did hear that story last week, and so did the kids. Now, if any of you remember that series of events or confrontations that Nate walked us through, let me ask this What did the tempter tell Jesus to do that made Jesus say, Man does not live. By bread alone. Anybody remember? You got it? Oh, I heard someone say it. You had your hand up. To- yeah, Jesus is out there. He's super hungry. And so the tempter just says, hey, there's rocks here. Make them bread. Okay, good. Thank you, Priscilla. That's one. Um, what about Jesus saying, Do not tempt the Lord your God, or you shall have no other gods before me. What prompted that? Anybody got it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Took him to the top of the temple, and he's like, just huck yourself off. Angels will lift you up. They won't let you hurt yourself. Took him to a mountain. He's like, oh, just bow down. Worship me. I will give you all of this. Thank you, Maymay. I appreciate that. Well, those enticements came from the tempter, who is suggesting that Jesus prove himself, his power, his claim to kingdom authority. Those were all subversive attempts to persuade Jesus to bypass the work and the weight of the ministry in front of him, sort of to choose his own adventure, selecting an alternate ending to his story that would bypass the work and the hard part and just come to that position of glory easily, but at the expense of side-lining, sidelining God and performing for his enemy. But there was Jesus in the desert prepping with prayer and fasting, readying himself, stealing himself, and then applying himself a manifestation of God, God in the flesh, determined to take into his self this broken world and put its violent enemy under his heel. He could and he would because he was who he was. From the desert of contemplation to the cross, those who believe in Jesus can surely say of him, surely, He was. Jesus is the one who came to save the lost. He is the one sent to redeem the world. He was the one who condescended to walk with us and lift us up into his likeness. He was who he was. Have we yet become like him? We are who we are, but who are we like? Now, well, I'd like us to take a moment here and sit and consider ourselves with respect to Christ. This image on the screen comes from an Instagram page called Psalm Prayers. Now, for the podcast, we're looking at a golden and black woodcut image of an early church father. He's called Athanasius. He's shown as a darkly complected man, bearded, wearing the vestments of a priest. He's got something like a halo, around his head in which the following is written, Jesus became what we are that he might make us what he is. Now, this quote is Athanasius confronting Christ followers with the truth and begging the most relevant questions in light of that truth. Who are we? What are we? Whose are we? So let's take a minute and consider ourselves. And while we do that, I'm going to read the passage over us, and I'll ask two more people to do the same. And then I'll ask you to respond with a word or phrase that stands out. That's the practice of Lectio Divina. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me May be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Paul? Haiti. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now remember when we read and listen like this, there are no experts in the room, no wrong answers. So I'll just ask does any word or phrase stand out to you or hit your heart from this passage? None. None. Thank you. Senator. Sent me. Thank you. Righteous father. <clears throat> Righteous father I know you. I know you. Continue. Thank you. So I heard from a couple people, known, I know you. Knowing and being known. This is all a matter of identity, isn't it? Christ's prayer here, I think, stirs up fundamental questions about belonging and association Also about cooperation as in co-operation with whatever or whomever we extend ourselves from. And that question of identity, being of God or not, or in Christ or not, has been in the world since the beginning. Which brings us to today's reading. This is John chapter 3, 1 through 17. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, Now, I put an asterisk up there in verse 3 because I want to loop back to that line first. If I were using a different translation, that would have read, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'm sure you notice the difference between the phrases born again and born from above. Now, from what I've learned, the original term could have been either but it seems that the primary usage was probably to indicate from above. So I chose that translation in part to prefer that more common turn of phrase, but also to avoid any misconceptions about the words born again. If you've been around the church for a long time, you may have encountered born again Christians. You may have been confronted by expectations associated with that claim or the culture. I was listening to a podcast this week by a guy called Tim Mackey. Mackey explained that in the past 50 years, certain arms of the church may have inadvertently redefined the biblical concept of being born again. So intentionally or not, born again has come to be associated with um, holding a, a particular set of moral principles or maybe a certain rigid legal behavior patterns or beliefs. So in other words, being born again, and I want to say that with air quotes, like born again in the 20th century might look less like a revolutionary spiritual dynamic with Christ called for by Jesus and more like an outward show or extra-religiosity. As Mackie was talking, I could sort of picture the stereotype that I think he was referring to, but I don't want to fill in those blanks. And please know, I am not disparaging any positive shifts in habits or behaviors in believers. I'm just setting up a distinction that he's making between flash and substance. So Mackie looked at John's writing, and he held Nicodemus up to the modern lens. Now, here's what any of us can know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is described as a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews and a teacher of the law. He was a man of God, devoted to the Jewish faith, incredibly well-versed in Torah, meaning the history, the law, the writings of ancient Israel. This guy lived and breathed religion. If that's who Nicodemus was, like super religious... It doesn't make sense that Jesus would say to him, be born again, meaning be more overtly religious. Like that's probably the one thing no one could reasonably say to a Pharisee. So it can't be what Jesus was suggesting. And Nicodemus was probably moral to a fault. He was literally a teacher and keeper of the law. Jesus would not have added more and more religious rules to a Pharisee's way of being. And I don't know who's seen images of first century Palestinian men, but they were wearing some pretty head-to-toe traditional layers. So I'm also thinking that Jesus was not telling Nicodemus that his salvation would come to him through more modesty. But the relationship between political affiliation and being born again does make some sense. I get that leap, but please don't mishear me. I get the tie-in, but only, only insofar as Jesus twice declares that no one can see the kingdom of God or enter in without rebirth. I believe that the only political affiliation that Jesus inclines his followers to is the kingdom of heaven and the only leader deemed worthy of followership is God in Christ the king. And that's a truth that carries to modern times. Christ followers are beholden to the one king eternal. But for Nicodemus... The kingdom concept and political affiliation were pressing matters with real-world consequences. This Jesus had been moving around Jerusalem, performing miracles, preaching, teaching with incredible authority, and just recently flipping the money-changing tables in the temple, which he claimed was his own father's house. The Pharisees knew all of that. They witnessed and heard about Jesus. They confronted him and had been confronted by him and they were not having him. The Pharisees were tolerated by the Roman government, and the king of Israel acknowledged their religious authority, and in turn, the Pharisees cooperated with the Romans when it suited them, and they did not provoke the king by reminding him of his obligations toward God. The religious leaders carved out a powerful niche, and protected their status with the shield of the law and with tactical silence. In some respects, we can say that the Pharisees were deep in the ways of the world. They were certainly under the law. So when Nicodemus came around at night, flattering Jesus and asking about his source of power and authority, Jesus says something like, Sir, you cannot even see My source. Nicodemus, a man of God, says to Jesus, I saw you. We, the Sanhedrin, saw you. We know that what you have done is impossible without God. What in the world? And Jesus pushes back something like, Not in the world. Not in the world. That is the point, Nicodemus. Sir, you are rooted so deeply in this world. Your feet are planted so firmly in the foundations of this life, this temporal kingdom, your rituals. You're so embedded with religious powers and governance that you don't recognize God with you. You don't know me. You're not who you were meant to be. And Jesus goes on intimating this. You've got to go home, Nicodemus, Go above with all of your advanced knowledge, your near-perfect law-keeping, and your important connections. Hmm. If you are to have any hope of seeing and understanding and entering the kingdom of God, you've got to uproot yourself from this world. You've got to shake off the soil that you've sunk into, the dust that you've made your home. You've got to aim higher, Look to the heavens, Nicodemus. Eyes up, man. You noticed the presence of God with me and you were correct. I am the one who has come and gone from heaven. There is none other like me, continues Jesus. But you can relate to me, sir. Anyone can. Consider yourself, Nicodemus, Jesus seems to say. The Son of Man has come to save the world. Are you known to him? Are you his? Are you about his mission? Untether yourself, Nicodemus. Make a new start. Be born from above, of God, in Christ, and connected to the heavens. Be remade, And you will see with new eyes and understand with a refreshed mind and intuit with a new gut. Start again, Nicodemus. Reform your affiliations and allegiances. Be made new. A psalmist wrote this next piece, which I would like to say, maybe, is the potential of a co-responsive relationship between God and a person The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Nicodemus would have been familiar with this psalm. And I'd like to think that he might have considered it as he wrestled with whether to submit to the regenerative work of the Spirit of God that Jesus required of him And of everyone. Would he, should he be born from above? Dare he see the kingdom of God and enter in? Now remember the words that we meditated on Jesus became what we are that he might make us what he is. Yes, Nicodemus and anyone considering life with Jesus, you might risk your position in this world to follow Christ, but how great is the offer in return, the presence of God, help from God, preservation and safekeeping ordained by God, an invitation into participation in the life and mission of God in Christ. And yes... There is a cost associated with being a Christ follower. Belief. Wholehearted belief. Jesus stood before Nicodemus as one who surely cooperated with God. Jesus' teaching and power and authority were proof of his divine self. Remember, Nicodemus was an expert in the subject and an eyewitness to Jesus' work, and he recognized the fact. And yet, after seeing Jesus' work, Nicodemus' question still sounded like, what in the world? But his asking that question was a massive favor to us because we can see with hindsight that Jesus said back to him, exactly. And then later he would explain, I am not of this world, My kingdom is not of this world. You, they, are not of this world. Be not conformed to this world. And furthermore, Jesus said, I have come not to condemn the world, but to offer salvation to all who believe. So, as if I could shout into the past, may I suggest that you pay the price, Nicodemus, believe, and be born anew from above. I am who I am, implies Jesus. And the question that suggests is this, are you yet remade like me? To which Jesus finally says, you must be. I'm going to invite Jason and the team up before I read our benediction. I want to say that we have 30 days left of Lent to sit in the desert with Christ, knowing who he is and deciding who will be every day with respect to him. Being made new, being born from above is a sanctifying act of the Spirit that follows belief. That's an inner activity affected by the Holy Spirit in you may impact you outwardly. You may alter your preferences, your behaviors in response, but the essential effect is a shift in the inclination of your heart and mind entirely toward Christ. So today, if you need time to stay and pray through your conviction about that, please do. Or if the certainty of your faith compels you toward next steps, Maybe baptism. Let's chat about that. Let's go find a pool. Or if you're uncertain, maybe spend time over the next 30 days in the desert with Jesus. Just keep him company and work out your belief together. I'll read the benediction. Jason is going to stay in play. Play. And I just invite you, wherever you are, to sit for a moment. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day.